and welcome everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim and this is Joy. And here at the top of the show, we would just like to wish you from the No Name Music Cast, Happy New Year! Yay! 2022 took a lot of people dead away from us that I didn't like, so maybe 2023 will be better. Yeah, here, <laughs> here in 2023, I can tell you it's things are going to be better. Things are going to be brighter. It's a bold new world of a year or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> the people say. But yes, 2022 is an interesting ride, so hopefully 2023 maybe pumps the brakes a little. Exactly. I hope everybody had a lovely Christmas or Kwanzaa or um, whatever kind of a celebration you have or a celebration maybe you didn't have. However you choose to uh, spend the end of the year, I hope it was good for you. Heck, even if you just take the time off of work and don't celebrate, I mean, enjoy your staycation. <laughs> exactly. Whatever works. However you celebrate or don't celebrate or rest or whatever you do, I hope it was a good one. Yay! Well, with that, um, I'm going to lead into... Do you have anything else for the people, Tim, before I lead into our little segment? No, other than that we're super positive for 2023. Yay! All right. So with that, um, I'm going to just lead off into our little local band of the week segment I'm going to do, I don't know, for a few episodes. And it's thought it'd be nice to highlight some local bands because we have a lot of musicians who play in small bands who listen to our podcast. Um, this is a band that I know Tim will know because they're a fan favorite in our area. It's The Works. Ah, yeah. I um, I don't think I've actually seen The Works live, but the singer of The Works has jammed with a band that I used to be in. Yeah, so his name is Jerry Wimmer, mm-hmm. um, and ironically, he was born in 1969, um, just makes me think of the song, and he's from Floyd, Virginia, which is close to me and Tim. Basically, he said he was a late bloomer on the guitar and didn't even start till he was 17 years old, but he had been singing since he could talk, So, and he performed at different st- at settings, venues. So I've seen the work two or three times they tend to play locally a lot in some of the areas some breweries and different things what's interesting about them is they're very much play to the crowd kind of band mm-hmm. they read the room really well from what i got and they also have a very large catalog so it's the only band i've ever seen where i saw someone sing the humpty dance prince and down with the sickness within the same hour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, J- Jerry Wimmer is a great singer. He is a really mm. good singer, and like you say, he's he's very versatile with the, with the songs he sings. I mean, I think I I think the songs, well, one of the songs I jammed with him was Purple Rain. I think, yeah. Um, but he he was at a couple of gigs that we did with a band that I was in a few years ago, and he knew the singer of the band I was in, and he got up and did a couple of songs. But I mean, yeah, they're a great local band. They have a great following. Um, and they and they really do control the audience really well and sort of play to the room. Yeah, and I think he's a good um like a showman in a way. He um he puts on a show really well. He does kind of what you see bigger stream bands do, like you know, major bands do where they try to play with the audience. He brings people on stage, like one he brought somebody on stage to sing Jackson with him. Um some girl came up and did the Humpty Dance during the Humpty Dance. The only thing I thought was really interesting is I had never actually seen someone do this in real life. The drummer wasn't playing on a drum kit. He was playing on one of those electric kind of drums like type things. And from someone who was in a band for a while and played the drums badly, but I did play them, um, <laughs> I was like, huh. I kind of get it though, because moving a drum set a lot, if you're tour, if you're going to a lot of different venues, how 
annoying is it to move a drum set in and out, Tim? You got to take the wing nuts off. You got to move the crap. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, it kind of lost its allure to me that he was playing on one of the electronic kind of things. Well, I can tell you the the previous band I was in before I was in Flager Hill, the drummer in that band would use electric drums. And I tell you why a band like the works would use electric mm. drums. There we go. One, like you say, it's like the, the setting up and tearing down, but probably over and above that, these days people want to have it silent on stage. And by that, mm. what I mean is not have any amplifiers on stage, just have monitors either pointing at you or use in ears. And then the front of house person mixes the whole thing. Um, huh. The problem with acoustic drums is they're loud. They're very loud. And you might go to some gigs sometimes and they have a Perspex plexiglass screen in front of the drums. And the reason you do that, again, is to to control the physical volume of the drums. Now, a number of years ago, electronic drums sounded terrible. And uh, a term that you would use in the UK is they sounded like Pigeon Street. And Pigeon Street was a kid's TV show that had a (laughs) sound in it, Um, the theme tune. But and, and they and, you know, a number of years ago, the technology just wasn't there to sound good. These days, the samples on electronic drums just sound like real drums. They did. Know. I will give them and that. And they sound good. really good. So from a mix perspective, from a stage volume perspective, that's why you'd probably want to use electric drums. And plus, if they were playing a smaller venue, which that's I used to... That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah. With, like the, the previous band I used to play, used to play Moose Lodges and small parties and stuff like that. And they send people say, oh, it's too loud. Because well, it's hard because you balance it to the drummer. With electric drums, you just go on the fader and you go, Oops, there you go. That's what I was saying. Is that the one, the last time I remember seeing them was at, um, what's that brewery that does the pumpkin patch, Shinklin Farms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a pretty small like venue. You've got, you know, all the metal stuff because it's a brewery, right? And then mm-hmm. you're in like a kind of thing. That's what I was thinking when Tim started talking. I was like, oh, it's probably also for sound because you're right. If you watch a local band in a very small venue, a lot of times the drums are intensely loud mm-hmm. and then everybody else has to match their hype of loudness and it just you know, it's right in your face. Um, one thing, though, back to the works that I was going to mention is the guy who's on the keyboard, Steve is his name, Steve Persak. Um, when I was reading through this, it says he has performed um, with Percy Sledge, Open for Tina Turner, Steppenwolf, Jefferson Starship, and Keith Urban. Mm, quite, quite the uh, storied career there. Yeah, it says he's been playing um, for 12 years. I mean, I don't know exactly what that means. He might have just been a stage band, might have did opening act type stuff. But I just thought that was cool. Um, And so I wanted to mention that as well. And then I will say, Tim was right, though. The drums sounded great. It just was the first band I had seen live in a long time that he pulled out the electric kit. But they have, like, looking at their, like, uh, schedule, they have a different show every other week up until, like, February. So that's probably part of it too. Yeah. I mean, I think all the people in that band do it for a living. I mean, the, the bands typically that I play in, we play on the weekends or occasionally in the week. And, you know, I, I'm typically quite busy playing music though. The last couple of months mm-hmm. have been a little quieter. Um, but th- those uh, gentlemen in that band are doing it for a living and they're, they're getting it done every weekend and multiple times in the week as well. Yeah. Looking at this, they've got three, they have three shows just this week alone. Yeah. There we go. So that is spelled W-O is an Oscar, R is in Romeo, X is in 
Xylophone? I don't know. X-ray? X-ray. <laughs> <laughs> My mind went blank on X. But anyway, so if you want to look them up, that's called The Works. Um, they're a pretty good band. I've enjoyed every time I went to see them. And they were very diverse. And the guy who's the lead singer, because that is one thing that you find with local bands. And I will say Tim's local band that he plays with is very lucky. He has a really good local singer. But small bands, if the singer, there's if they can do a lot of things, it's very useful. Because every once in a while, you get those singers that yeah they're good in their genre right Mm -hmm. which is a lot of times in this area classic rock but if you can find somebody who can do a little bit outside of that it just opens up your ability to play yeah we are very lucky in flager hill to have mr bill williams who is probably one of the best singers i've ever worked with he's got a very distinctive voice Mm -hmm. he can sing almost anything he sounded wonderful. I was I went to one of Tim's concerts. I don't know what was it last year, year before last, whatever, during the summer. And he everything he sang was perfect. Yeah, Just, yeah. He knew his voice and knew how to use it. So that's what I will say about the works as well. All right. Well, on to our next little segment where I asked him questions because he knew too many sutures to the lie. So I gave up on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, this this may be the question of the century. This may divide the people. I'm scared to ask it because we're going to get some heightened answers on this. But it is a question I need to know that I just realized I've never heard Tim answer. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Absolutely, 100%. I, in fact, I, I, um, <laughs> I like pineapple on pizza. And in fact, I've even had pear on pizza as well. That's what I was going to ask. So in my case, I love pineapple on pizza. I always do like a savory and a sweet. I don't, we don't, me and Tim don't eat meat. So it's usually like, I like jalapenos and pineapple on pizza, or I like um, banana peppers and pineapple on pizza, something to counter it. But I absolutely love the taste of pineapple on pizza. It 110% deserves to be there. And I've done the pear before. It was like, um, I don't remember. It had like arugula, I think, underneath it and some certain type of cheese. It was really good, too. Yeah. I mean, there's a place um, in Blacksburg where I work called Your Pie. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they do They're like thin crust pizzas. You can put whatever you want them. In, and then I would put all the veggie toppings on and I would put pineapple on it. But they also do salads using all the same stuff. And they also do like a pasta bake thing using all the same stuff. And for both of those things, I will put pineapple in them as well. I think I agree with Tim on that. All right. Now we have one other divisive question for the people. And I saw this earlier and I know Tim's going to laugh when he hears it come out of my mouth because I have very strong feelings about this. And I was reading this and I'm very upset that I read this. It said, is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? Well, like, well, well, it's the same principle, I suppose, but the it's different. It's because it's like a biscuit, whatever whatever, pop tarts are made from some kind of mystical stuff that nobody knows what it is. Is it bread? I mean, who who can honestly say? Is it biscuit? Nobody knows. And for those, because Pop-Tarts, the name brand, is not what it actually is. I don't know if Pop-Tarts found everywhere, but it's like those breakfast pastry things with like, I, is Pop-Tart a universal brand, Tim? I don't know. Yeah, Pop-Tart is. Okay. Because that's a name brand, but I didn't know. So what I read was ravioli has to be a small pasta envelope. And since a Pop-Tart is not pasta, I do not define it as this. But there are some people who are claiming that a Pop-Tart is a ravioli. But then that opens up to would things like empanadas become raviolis? And that's too much for me. I can't do it. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe Pop-Tarts are made of pasta. I have no idea. As I said, it's like a, it's like <laughs> it's, a mystery substance. Who knows? It doesn't really taste like real bread. It's kind of crumbly. And it's not like a biscuit cookie type thing. It's it's its own food group. Well, let's Google it. What is a Pop-Tart made of? I'm giving it a Google on air. Enriched flour, B12, and folic acid. Mmm, love the folic acid. But if that's true, then is it pasta just flour as well with water? Yeah, see, this this becomes a little bit of a gray area. Well, I suppose the difference being is the pot tart is sweet, whereas the pasta is savory. But I've had pumpkin pasta or pumpkin stuffed ravioli, and I've had I've had sweeter raviolis. Hmm. Mm. I, I still mean, th- I still think pop tarts are their own food group. I stand with you on that. I'm glad you said that because I was going to get angry if you said otherwise, kind of like me with my hot dogs and sandwich debates (laughs) um, (laughs) or cereal soup last time. But I had to know officially what Tim's stance on um, pineapple and pizza is, and I'm very happy he's on the right side of history. Absolutely. I mean, let's put pineapple on pizza, for goodness sake. I mean, here in 2023, onwards and upwards with pineapple on your pizza. Yay! And with that, we may have lost four listeners. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now on to the episode, sir. Yes. So this week is my turn to pick the topic. Now, it's the new year. It's 2023. So I decided to do a new year themed episode. And by new year themed, I decided to pick out all the songs that I could think of or that were in my iTunes library, more importantly, (laughs) which had the word new in them. See where you're going with this. Yeah. So some of them it's N-E-W and then sometimes it's K-N-E-W, but it has the words N-E-W in it. So it's 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 close enough. So I am opening up this New Year episode with a new song. Oh, it's not new. It's very old, but it's from 1980. (laughs) I was like, Tim, how are you you defining as new? (laughs) Well, it's got new. It's it's new as in it has new in the in the word in the words in it. And I'm opening up with some Swedish power pop. And this is from the Super Trooper album. And this is Happy New Year. Happy New Year. See, I thought you were going to say, like, knowing you, knowing me. So you took me for a loop there. I thought that's what was coming. Happy New Year. I mean, first of all, you can't really go wrong with Swedish pop duo. And Super Troopers is probably my favorite album. It's hard to know. They've got so many good ones, but it it breaks up there as a favorite. Yeah, I have the... uh... For my birthday, I got the ABBA Complete Discography box set. It doesn't have ABBA Voyage on it, but it has everything up to that. So it f- it filled in some gaps in my uh, physical CD library. But certainly, yeah, Super Trooper is a great album. And as we know, the song Super Trooper is about a big light. Yes. So I do have a fact about this song, Tim, that I learned because this song, it's hard for me to think of songs that are, you know, when you think of a New Year's song, you always just think of that Otto Lang saying that song, the one that I don't know how to say. Um, but anyway, so for some reason, and this is going to sound weird, did you know that this song is super popular in Vietnam? No, I didn't know that. So for some reason, during um, the time that this came out, this song was like, I guess that might have been close to the Vietnam War. I haven't confirmed that. I would imagine. When did Super Trooper come out? 1980. That was after the Vietnam War. So long after. But anyway, so 
with that being said, it was just like they this song for some reason sold really well in Vietnam and they talked about that it was just because it was prosper it's about being prosperous and optimistic, um, and that kind of thing. And for some reason, the song just happened to be really popular there. Hmm, it, it's funny, it's sometimes that certain artists or certain songs resonate in certain yeah. countries. I mean, I you know, everyone jokes about it, me included, that David Hasselhoff is big in Germany, but there's something about his music or his character, if you will, at that time that made him popular in Germany, whereas everywhere else he didn't get that. And there's other artists like that as well. Yeah, I know. And it kind of goes back to where me and Tim sometimes are surprised what I know what he doesn't know versus just what we assume is popular in the UK versus what's popular in America. But for some reason, I had read a thing, a statistic or it was a comment or something, and they were just talking about that song did really well. And I don't know why I was thinking it was 70s because I think it's 60s, 70s. But then when you said 1990, I'm like, well, I'm way off. The other thing is, is there's a Swedish version of this song and an English version, right? Yes. Yes. I've never, I don't know that I've ever actually heard the Swedish version. It would be God Nitor, I think. Because it's God Yule Ok God Nitor is Merry Christmas and Happy New Year in Swedish. Mm. And I'm sure anyone who can speak Swedish who heard that, it sounds terrible. But I do remember <laughs> how to say it sort of. Fair enough. I mean, I'll take, I mean, like, I would know if you were right anyway. <laughs> I would know. I'd be like, sure, that sounds right, Tim. Well, you know, my one. I've got some New Year's uh, revolutions for 2023. <laughs> so one of my New Year's revolutions is finish all the unfinished projects on my computer. I've got some videos, I've got some audio stuff, I've got some live concerts I need to mix, and I and I've been I've been distracted with watching wrestling for too long, and I need to finish them. So I want to do that. The other thing I'm doing this year is I want to learn Swedish properly using Duolingo for my own entertainment. That's so funny. So I actually, because uh, for those who don't know this, I was, um, I speak French and I, I took college lessons. I've been to France. I've been to Canada. We've talked about this many times in the episode, but because I've been losing a lot of the vocabulary over time from not using it, guess who's been, who's on her like 27 day streak on doing <laughs> it actually really does help though in that case especially if you have a foundation in the language because i remember like the basics and like conjugating verbs and different things like that um and but it's helping me remember like different vocabulary i haven't used in a thousand years you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i can remember unstilo means pin but for some reason i have forgot you know lemir means wall or whatever so it so there you go, Tim. This is not an ad for Duolingo, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they want to sponsor me, give me money by all means, but it's not an ad for them. <laughs> well, yeah, my, my goal is our listener Jilbo is learning Swedish on Duolingo. Mm. And my goal is to maybe call uh Jilbo or <laughs> converse with her on text in in Swedish and see what happens. Well, I need to add you guys on Duolingo so we can hold each other accountable. <laughs> yeah, I will uh, I, I will I will add you on that. Yeah, I haven't connected to my Facebook. That's funny though, because I've been trying to, and they I broke my streak the other day, and I was very sad. The other thing about Duolingo is they have the funniest um, social media team. They have their little mascot, and he's the bird. And on all of their social media, he's amazing. He is what you want doing your social media if you're trying to get somebody to follow a company. 
Ah, fantastic. Well, I I haven't delved that deep into it, but I would definitely <laughs> check that out. I love how I'm like, this isn't an ad, but back to Duolingo. <laughs> asterisk at the end, not um, Tim, but an asterisk at the end of this episode, not sponsored by Duolingo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what's our next song? Oh, okay. So this one is from 1986. Now, this is an absolute favorite of mine. And this okay. is... Aretha Franklin and George Michael, I knew you were waiting for me. Oh, I think we talked once about this before. And we talked about our, when we talked about it before, I talked about how much I love the generalization of the two people in this music video, mm -hmm. their voices and the way they look. Because, you know, she's got like that white outfit on. He's got like his black leather jacket on. Her voice is so smooth. His voice has a little bit of, he does have a really smooth voice, but there's like a ruggedness to it. And when you put those two together, it's wonderful. And they don't, they both are powerhouses in their own right. Obviously, Aretha Franklin's more of a powerhouse than 90% of the world. I get that. But George Michael has a really nice singing voice and he can sing, you know, a lot of things. But when you put them together, they don't compete. They sound like they're, it's very harmonious. I don't want to say it's harmony because it's not harmony, but very harmonious. Um, and so that's what I love about this song when you hear them together. Yeah, they, they blend so well. And you're saying about George Michael. I mean, another someone we lost far too soon, a, a super mm -hmm. tragedy that we lost him. And in fact, I was watching the Freddie Mercury tribute concert only a few days ago. And, you know, a couple of the songs on there are sung by George Michael. Yeah. And I think up to that point, I hadn't really appreciated George Michael. I mean, I saw that concert live in 92. And up to that point, he was just like a pop star. I didn't think anything much of George Michael. But watching that and seeing the range he had and the power he had and the command of the crowd he had, I mean, he was one of the greatest like, singers to come from the pop genre maybe of all time. I think so. And I feel like, you know, everybody associates like, wake me up before you go-go with him or something like that, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, William. But when you hear him sing by himself, he's he's got a great voice. Um, he has a good stage presence. I went through probably a five-year period where I was obsessed with um, the Faith album, Freedom 90, all of that was like, and even his duet with Elton John still let the sun go down on me. So maybe I'm a little mm -hmm. biased, <laughs> but <laughs> I went through like a five-year period where I was obsessed with George Michael for whatever reason. I don't know where it came from. No, I, he, he was great. That's the thing. I mean, there's, there's so many good songs. I mean, even just in the Wham catalog, Mm -hmm. And, you know, to this day, nobody really knows what Andrew Ridgely did because he didn't really write any of those songs <laughs> and he may have not even sung on them. I mean, he, I was, I don't he know. may have Millie Vanilla did. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he fulfilled the quota of two attractive people in a pop duo. But I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's probably still making royalties. So who are we to judge? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, honestly. <laughs> um. <laughs> And then he's on Do They Know It's Christmas, right? Yeah, he sings like he appears like after there's a version of Do You Know It's Christmas that he sang on too. Yeah, the, the original uh, Band-Aid single, Do That's They Know the It's one, Christmas. Yeah. yeah, he's on that. And in fact, as many people know, I'm obsessed with We Are The World because we did a We Are The World episode. <laughs> this is and true. I watched We Are The World yesterday. And then when it wrapped, I said to Hannah, I said, you know, we should watch the Band-Aid one and see how many of those people are still famous. And it, it, your Bonos, your Stings, your George Michaels, um, Paul Young, maybe. Um, yeah. There's still names you'd recognize, but a lot of the people in the ensemble, you wouldn't know who they were. But but he's right there at 
I think that, it's not the first line because the first line is Paul Young, but I think it's the second or third line is George Michael. Yeah, that sounds about right. I was thinking the third line. Um, but I, I and also he was a big advocate for LBGTQ rights. You know, he was there for HIV and um, AIDS charity foundations. He did a lot of good thing with his outreach, too, which I think made a big difference to me as well. Um, but yeah, I was very he was well, when he passed away. I was very sad. Yeah, it was. I think it was 2016, that brutal December when we lost so many people. Yeah, it was 20. It was actually Christmas Day. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So sadly, um, but then on the flip side, another person who we're not talking of is Aretha Franklin, who also died in like, what, 2018? Something like that. And as I've said many times before, in my eyes, she's the only one who should be getting a Grammy. <laughs> if you can't sing Aretha Franklin, then you don't deserve a, gra- a Grammy. No, I, I just think if you're not it. Aretha Franklin, you shouldn't be getting a Grammy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I will say um, Chain of Fools is probably my favorite Aretha Franklin song. We haven't talked about her too much on the podcast, but I will say, yeah, that's probably my favorite. I love that um, that breakdown in that song. And say I Say a Little Prayer is one of my favorites as well, but it's always in my head because there was a version they did for Glee that was wonderful. But it's funny because so on when Glee first started, it had like these maid singers that were wonderful, but then it had some backup people they didn't let sing initially. But it turns out these people had good voices too. They were just doing vocal, you know, they were doing coaching and stuff with them but there's this version where um the three head cheerleaders sing i say a little prayer for you and the main girl um they let her sing but the two backup singers they didn't sing in it and they dubbed them with which is obviously powerhouse african-american <laughs> singers and they're lip singing over it and it's so weird because the girls who played britney and santana were wonderful singers i don't know why in the first season they didn't let them sing um, well, Brittany was actually brought on the show because she was a backup dancer for Beyonce. Mm. So that was probably part of it. But Santana can sing like, well, her that's not a real name, but in the show that was. She could sing really well. Brittany had a wonderful voice. But for some reason, in this first version, they 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 dubbed them. And it's very obviously not their voices. And I mean, it sounds amazing. But it's so <laughs> weird to watch when you watch it from then to like later on where they start singing. Anyway, so that's what I think of every time I think of I say a little prayer for you. There we are. And for for those people playing No Name Music Cast Bingo, that would be your Glee reference. <laughs> and 74 <laughs> Glee references. And I hope you're not doing this as a drinking game because I might have just put you in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> Tim will say Hounslow letter and we'll really bring it home. There, there um, we are. Well, I, I maybe I, I bought my, going back to the first song, I bought my uh, first copy of Super Trooper from HMV and Hounslow High Street. There we are. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> We're going to get a call saying we're no longer allowed to play bingo at this house. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's a wonderful song and they're both wonderful singers, but I just love the two of them together because it works so well. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's move on to another song. So this comes from 1986. This is bang up to date music. Let me tell you, this is kind of edge. This is top of the hit parade. You mean to say it's new, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> and this is from The Bangles from the album mm. Different Light. And this is If She Knew What She Wants. Oh, I love this song, but I kind of I kind of forgot it existed until you said it. Because you, you're Team Bangles. You've been Team Bangles from the beginning. We've talked 
about this. Absolutely. Well, I'm team Susanna Hoffs more than team Bangles, but yes, certainly team Bangles over team Go-Go's. See, you're, you're may, you may be converting me because the more you bring up music, the more I forget how many songs they really have. Tim may have brought me to the Bangles side, everybody. My, I feel, if nothing else from this podcast, Joy, I feel my work is done. <laughs> that was really the whole goal of this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> because if she knew what she wants, you know, he'd be giving it to her if she knew what she wants. It's It's like... I forgot about the song until you said it. And they're the Bengals have a way of having what kind of is a little bit more deeper, not always, but a little bit more deeper music, but in a very rolled up pop package. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably what does it for me now that I start thinking of it. You know, it's about like she's fine if she knew what she wanted. Da 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 da. They walk a crooked line. It's got really good lyrics that are really good meaning, but it's kind of wrapped up in that perfect pop package. Exactly. I I, I don't know how much music the Bangles wrote, certainly at the beginning of their career, because mm-hmm. like Manic Monday is written by Prince, for example. Yeah. Um, but they, whoever was writing that stuff, they were making perfect little pop song packages. Well, and here's the other thing. I mean, Eternal Flame. Come on, guys. That song is one of those songs that like, is it is like you're like we're saying it's got it's got very deep lyrics, but it does give that kind of Tiffany singing at the pop at the um you know the mall kind of thing to it as well. Mm-hmm. But their voices are so beautiful in that one, and they sound so good. Yeah, I guess Tim won me on it. I guess I'm now Team Bengals. There we are. Well, It'll sometimes. change next week I, when we talk about the Go Go. <laughs> I'm I'm proud of you, Joy. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, all it took was three seconds of communicating with me, and I changed my mind completely. Easily won over to the world of the Bengals. <laughs> Su- Susanna Hoffs herself will be very proud of you. Well, the more I think about it, you know, obviously everybody thinks of Walk Like an Egyptian. We've got Manic Monday. We've got Eternal Flame. It, isn't Hazy Shade of Winter one of their songs? It is. And as I think we may have mentioned this before. For me, their version of Hazy Shade of Winter is significantly better than the original. I'm not even sure I've heard the original. Who's in the original? It's um, Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. Now I know. I actually kind of agree with you on that. Yeah. I like li- Simon and Garfunkel. Though, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, there's, a, there's it's the original. There's is a good song, but Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bangles. I mean, it has that really killer guitar riff in it. It has the harmonies in it. It is really good. And Simon and Garfunkel, while they're very talented, do not get me wrong, everybody, they could sing themselves out of a paper bag. We all know this. A lot of their music is very Simon and Garfunkel. Everything yeah. sounds like Simon and Garfunkel. It's There's not folk, a lot of variety. Yeah, it's folk, folk pop, sort of. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I could say it, whereas their version kind of brought it out of that that category. Exactly. And then you got the whole thing with Simon and Garfunkel, because Paul Simon didn't feel confident enough to sing his own songs initially. So that's why he got Garfunkel involved. And then when he sort of found his feet singing, he sort of resented the fact he had to put up with Garfunkel singing all his songs and claiming royalties on them. I mean, I can't really blame him for that. I probably would get annoyed too. But I will say Garfunkel does have a really nice voice. He does, absolutely. And in fact, I have a... uh, Garfunkel live solo album on my computer. And it's actually really good. Yeah. People forget about him. And I always thought it was interesting. I mean, I love the name Art Garfunkel. I wish that could be my name. That's a cool name. 
Yeah, that, that is an incredibly cool name. <laughs> I doubt it's his real name. <laughs> well, if that's not his real name, he's probably going, yeah, Joy, it's a cool name because I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> but if I got to pick my name, I would pick my name as Art Garfunkel, too. There we are. <laughs> anyway, so moving along. <laughs> moving along. All right. So we're going even further back for this next one. This is 1971. And this is Melanie with the song Brand New Key. I'm trying to decide if I know that song. You, I've got a brand new key. Yeah, okay, I do. Dang, you're unlocking a box here, Tim. That... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean that ironically because of the key. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. <laughs> Melanie. The, the, I just don't recognize that artist. Did she have other songs? Do you know, I don't know. It's new. That's what I think it is. Like, I've definitely heard that song. The roller, it's like the roller skate song is what it's known for, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it goes by like the roller, because I think like in the video, maybe they're on roller skates. That's just what people call it. Um, But I I wonder if she was a one hit wonder then, because she doesn't ring a bell to me at all. There's also a parody version of it by by a band called The Wurzels that's called Brand New Combine Harvester, which is the same thing, but he's singing about the fact he's got a new combine harvester. Well, I've always wondered, now that you say Brand New Key, and I'm thinking back about that song, is it, I wonder if it, it's an end of something else. I, I've never dissected the lyrics to uh, Brand New Key, but it probably is. I don't put a different spin on it if I'm thinking of it about a roller skate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also one of those songs that's been, probably been used in car commercials. It's been used in TV because it's got that like that sound that Tim was just doing for everybody. So lovely, by the way, Tim really nailed it for me. <laughs> but <laughs> See, I feel like I, it's go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say I me, me singing it to you. You know, if that's, that's, that's maybe the definitive version, probably. <laughs> Exactly. But yeah, I will say, um, I would say that song's been used a lot. So maybe she didn't need to write any other music. Maybe she made enough music off of this one that she just went off and lived her life, Tim. Could be. And and good luck to you, Melanie, whatever became came of you. Yes. And I, if I'm completely wrong about it being called the roller skate song. Don't come for me, Internet. That's just kind of what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's our next song? So this this one is a little obscure, but you 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 won't have had to hear it to sort of understand it. So okay. this is from 1984 by the Daniel Kane Orchestra. Okay, and this is the it's the original score from the A Team. <laughs> well, what's and, the name of it? And the song is the A Team in New York City, which is taken from a, from an episode. Now, the interesting thing about this. You know, I'm a fan of the A-Team. It's probably one of my favorite TV shows. You know, you've got Knight Rider at the top of the tree and then, you know, A-Team's mm-hmm. down there a little bit. The interesting thing, that is a U.S. TV show. Yes. And it's popular throughout the world, but it's a U.S. TV show. This okay. official soundtrack, and it's the exact music that's used in the show, mm-hmm. was only released in the U.K., Huh. I've definitely heard it before, though, but it must have been after the fact. Yeah, so I ha- I bought the CD of it because I wanted it, and it's a UK yeah. import. But it was just interesting that that's the only market that it was released in. Now, you said you don't have to hear the A-Team in New York City. If you just imagine A-Team incidental music, yeah, that's what it sounds like. No, I get it, but 
so is Daniel is Daniel Kane. Yeah, I don't know why da- it was so hard for me to say that. Yeah. Um, or is, he, is he from the UK or was it? No, I think I th- I don't know anything about Daniel Kane. But if I had to <laughs> guess, he was a scorer, a ranger, something like that, and worked with probably I think it's NBC who made that TV show. It's a yeah. Stephen J. Cannell production. So here's my question, though. So is the A team in America and the A team in the UK the exact same or are there differences in the show? No, they're absolutely completely identical. Hmm. Certainly, I get the sense that the A team was more popular in the UK. Um, It certainly has a bigger cult following in the UK. Mm. And the fact that they made an episode that had Boy George in it, if you've ever seen that one. Yeah. Where he, where he plays a character called Cowboy George, and it's like shoehorning culture club songs into an A-Team episode. It's very bizarre, but brilliant at the same time. I mean, it was definitely popular here, but I feel like you're probably on to something with the cult classic, maybe ironically in some ways, mm-hmm. that it was popular in the UK. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of an ironic show, though, in that sense. So maybe that's where it plays under... I mean, it is cartoon violence. It is a cartoon strip in real life. I mean, there's lots of guns. There's ridiculous stuff going on. But there's always welding equipment. Where does the welding equipment come from? Things just appear when they need it. Like, (laughs) Yeah, because the A-team will get captured by Colonel Decker and they're thrown into a cave somewhere and he seals it up and he's like, oh, I'm going to come and throw you in jail tomorrow, A-team. And then they spin round and what's there? Some kind of rusty car and welding equipment and sheet metal, always. <laughs> and then they burst out this cave and, and BA has made this armoured car and then they're throwing pumpkins or something out of it. Well, didn't you know if you become part of the special forces unit in America that you can actually produce welding equipment out of your brain? That's actually part of the training. <laughs> we could ask my father because he was in that and he would be able to confirm. Yeah. It's and the other the thing that somebody told me, a veteran that I worked with who was in the army. So <laughs> the whole premise of the A-team is they're on the run from for some crime they supposedly committed mm-hmm. or didn't commit, and they're on the run from this. Like court-martialed, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. And the military police are after them. And yeah. as you see in the A-team, the military police are trying to get them and capture them off base, effectively. And mm-hmm. they also seem to have jurisdiction over civilians and create all kinds Which of havoc and stuff like that. No, and the, and the person I worked with who's in the army said to me, the military p- police only have jurisdiction on base. base. And they said, if somebody goes AWOL or commits a crime off base, the military police can contact the regular police and say, hey, sergeant, private, whatever has come off base and is doing this. And then the regular police can arrest them. But they don't have any jurisdiction off base, and especially with civilians, because you'll see in the A-team, Colonel Decker is doing all kinds of things with regular people in the street. <laughs> yeah, so basically, from what I understand, is they were, um, there. it's like a fictitious special forces unit they were in, they committed some crime, then they got court-martialed, and they ran away, and mm-hmm. now they're running from the military police, and the military police is after them at all times. Yeah. But you're correct. So for those who don't know, my father and my mother and my twin sister were all in the military i grew up in a military family um and so especially my dad my mom my dad was the one who was in my mom wasn't in for very long um but you know i was around it i took rotc in high school and there's definitely no way that the military police have any but 
what you were just saying, Tim. They literally can conjure up welding equipment on demand. Why are we worried about the military police? It really is um, a cartoon, but with real people. Honestly, it, it is. And I mean, like the <laughs> weapons in that, they're spraying machine guns everywhere and nothing's happening. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. I hadn't really put much thought into it, but they'll just be like <laughs> shooting and nothing comes of it. Not even like a bullet in the wall. <laughs> exactly. And then like the, the iconic van, the GMC van, I forget the, it's, I, th- I think it's a GMC vanilla van. Um, with I'll the red, red mag alloy wheels. Um, <laughs> there was a few hero vans, which had the insides and outsides all decked up, and they were GMC vans. But they yeah. were wrecking so many of them, they would buy these generic Ford vans <laughs> and they just paint them the right color for jumps and stunts. But, like, you see the the van jump and land so many times. I mean, I've gone over I, old cars that I've had. I've gone over a bad bump and I've like bent a rim or I've blown a tire. This Your thing oil is like, pants on the ground as you keep driving. Yeah, this thing's jumping through the air and crashing, and they're like, "Oh!" And then the- where was this movie? I cannot place it. Doesn't matter. But there's this girl. She's in a van, and the van had like bullet holes in it, and it was just like a classic, like that classic 1990 van every family had. You know, Tim, back in the 1990s, that big um, Astro or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the couples are over, and she was doing like 110 in this van that's literally falling apart with bullet holes, and he goes. I'm just worried about your safety. Could you just keep it under 60? I don't think it's going to make it much longer. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest thing. <laughs> but you're right. Like, you hit a bump too hard on some vans and your oil pans. Three, one time. Okay. My mom's going to kill me for telling this story, <laughs> but I'm going to tell it anyway. Mom, I have to see you on Christmas. I hope you have it. Well, no, you won't. I've already heard this. I'm good. It comes out of New Year's. <laughs> <laughs> I won't see you for a while. So did. Um, <laughs> I can't say this story straight. But mom, you know those when you're in the parking lot and those like sometimes they have like that in concrete barrier at the end of the lot where you pull up to. Yeah, like, yeah, in yeah. Your parking spot. And sometimes they don't. Just depends on the parking lot, right? So, my mom, we got back in the car. I was in high school. I think it was an SUV. I can't remember what vehicle it was. It doesn't matter. Well, she forgot that barrier was there, and she drove over that concrete barrier. And this is where it gets even funnier. And I still don't know what mom was thinking. I think my dad probably was like, what is wrong with you? Because she drove it home. But I remember I was in high school. It sounded like a tank. <laughs> the entire way home. So we're just going through town and you just, just keep driving it, driving all the way home like that. <laughs> I remember being embarrassed and just like, please don't look at me. <laughs> Did she like rip the oil pan off it or I something? I have no idea what it was. I can't, I mean, it was not drivable. It was probably, I'm pretty sure that it was dead after that. But I mean, <laughs> who pulls off and instead of saying, okay, I should call someone to come get this, keeps driving a good 10, 15 minutes home. <laughs> I remember that to this day. And I remember my dad being like, Marie, what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I guess in her mind, she just wanted to get home, but I, it was loud, Tim. Whatever she did on that concrete barrier was, it did the damage. 
Yeah, it, or maybe it's it's severed the exhaust somewhere down or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever happened, she should have been driving. <laughs> but I just remember me and my twin sister, because we were probably like 15 years old, so we were still in that stage where you're a little embarrassed, you know, Tim? Mm-hmm. So I'm like going, like hiding in the back because my car sounds like a tank as we're driving through town. <laughs> anyway, all right. Now that I laughed really hard and we spent a lot of time talking about the A-team. <laughs> <laughs> As we should. Maybe we should do an A-team episode. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. There was some good music in the A-team. Yeah. I mean, the uh, the famous um, ba, 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 the, the, the theme tune yeah. to the A-team is amazing. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what makes it iconic in and of itself. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's let's move away from the A team as much as we should spend the next hour talking about the. <laughs> My uh, side the hurts from laughing so hard <laughs> thinking about that. All right. Okay. So this one again, another one, top up to date song from 1983. <laughs> this is Huey Lewis in the news, and I want a new drug. I knew this one was going to come up because I mean, any chance that me and Tim could talk about Huey Lewis in the news, we probably will. Exactly. And as I said before, I saw Huey Lewis in um, Elmwood Park in Roanoke, and it was such a good gig. Does it mean Ghostbusters? <laughs> well, Wasn't I mean, we, Ghostbusters? Yeah. no, there's Ray Parker Jr. So that whole thing about one of you and Ghostbusters and stuff. That's no. what it was. I forgot. Sorry, everybody. Don't come for me, Internet. He's supposedly ripped off. I want to do drug, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's correct. Sadly. Well, we'll just pretend like it was the Huey Lewis in the news version because that would probably be cool, too. So this is from Sports, which we talked about is probably one of the greatest albums of all time. Sure. Yeah. Um, which because that's all, that album had like so many hits on it. You don't get that many hits on a normal album. At least most people don't. No, it seems to be a thing in the 80s to some degree is that you would have these amazing albums, sports, thriller, um, Jan Jackson's Control, all those kind of albums that, are very, that have become super iconic. Mm-hmm. They would release single after single from that album. There wouldn't be any additional songs. They would just release album tracks as singles. Yeah. And so you would get, because now usually you get like, what, two singles on most albums at the most? But like those, you'd be like song after song after song. You're like, oh, yeah, that song was huge. That song was huge. Um I mean, I guess if you put that much work into it and you know it's a good song, you might as well get it out there, right? Yeah, I think it's probably record companies trying to maximize their uh, investment. And actually, here's a question. Are singles even still a thing? Yeah, they are. They use them to promote the album. But um, so, like, one thing that happened recently, and I will say this, don't come for me, Internet. I don't care for Taylor Swift. I never have. Don't care for her. Don't care for her music. She's not really my cup of tea. That is not to insult her. She writes her own music. She's very popular and people like her. You like what you like. You don't have to justify it. But her most recent album, every song on it was on like the top charts for like three weeks straight, like all 12 songs, Tim. Yeah. You see that? That's why I don't, I'm of the opinion that singles are not a thing anymore because Back in my day, you'd buy, <laughs> you'd buy your album. Okay, old man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You would buy your album, and then they would release singles, and they would sell it as a 7-inch a single or 45, or a cassette single, or a CD single. And it was a separate physical thing. And because of that, that's how the charts will work. So only thing that's getting in the singles charts is something that's been released as an independent piece, not as a part of a whole album. But in the, these days... 
in the uh, realm of streaming and all that kind of stuff. Any artist mm-hmm. can d- release whatever they like. And then somehow every album track then can become a single. I seem to remember like at the beginning of the iTunes charts, which is at the beginning of when music was being distributed digitally, you would get like four Beatles songs in the top 10. And it's like, how does that work? They're just, they're great songs, but they're album tracks. Yeah. So the way I see it is I do think they release singles, but I think the singles nowadays only really matter for what's on the radio. Does that make sense? I feel like the radio hits are the singles, whereas like, like you're saying, because the access to the internet, you can download an album in 30 seconds. Everybody can listen to the album. I feel like the songs become popular, all of them that everybody likes. Like that one of Beyonce's albums, I think, did the exact same thing that, you know, Taylor Swift did. Like 17 songs on it, it felt like were everywhere. And you're like, where's the two to three singles? I think that maybe they pull two to three singles and send them out to the radio type thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right in a sense, the way singles used to work don't necessarily matter as much yeah and it also begs the question is are charts still a thing because in you know back back when i was buying lots of physical music it was sales of a physical product and then it became streams and i I don't know it's, it's just not the same i mean they still exist but to what it matters in the long sorry everybody i got the hiccups <laughs> um but to what it matters in the long run i'm not sure yeah, because I mean, there'll, there'll there'll never be a album that sells as many copies as Michael Jackson's Thriller or Saturday Night's uh, Fever soundtrack, or you know these multi-platinum albums with millions and millions of sales. That's never going to happen again. Yeah. Oh, rumors. That was what. What is it? Rumors like known as one of the highest grossing albums of all time. Yeah, as well? and the, and there's like Eagles Greatest Hits Volume One or something is like the best-selling compilation album of all time or something like that. It's yeah. just a if if you if you're streaming it i don't know it's just not the same as purchasing it to me yeah cuz it's so easy i feel like it's so easily accessible now versus you were going out of your way to go get it there was something about that transaction that seemed purposeful whereas now it's more convenient yeah i don't know i mean i mean all this music is available for basically for free or next to free with a streaming subscription. And you know, the entire world is at your fingertips of music. And then you can listen to whatever you like and you can, you can get into Peruvian death metal or jazz from Belarus or whatever you, you know, floats your boat. It's immediately accessible to you. Or Charlie's recent throat singing obsession. I know. Yeah, it's all there. <laughs> Whereas before, if you wanted that, you'd have to go to a record shop and you'd have to special order it and import it and all this kind of stuff. Mm. But the flip side of that is I, when you bought an album or bought a single, you was invested in that because you paid your hard-earned money for that and you wanted to own that and put it in your house. Yeah, And that, and that was a good mark of what was popular. But I don't know. It's everything like that has become so diluted. I don't think the charts have the same impact anymore. Yeah, you're probably right. And to be honest, does it really matter if they don't? I don't know. We can probably debate this all day. In the grand scheme of things, no, it doesn't matter because if people are enjoying music, the popularity contest is irrelevant. But it's a, I don't know, it's like a statement of the culture of the time. I mean, you, you look back 60s, 70s, 80s, you can define all of those decades or even years mm. with the music or albums that were popular during that time. And it really does define 
that point in history. Yeah, now, it defines a generation as a yeah, whole. Yeah, but now I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Taylor Swift is popular and all that, but there's not one album that you can think, oh, that was the album of 20 whatever, because if, if all the charts are just full of her singles, I don't know. Well, I will say her most recent album, apparently everybody loves. So I'll give her that. She made an album that everybody adores. Um, and thank you for coming to Tim's Teb Talk, everybody, on album sales. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd also say I have not got into the world of Taylor Swift. It's not really something that floats my boat. But as Joy said, if you love Taylor Swift, enjoy Taylor Swift and listen to it and really enjoy it. Yeah. No, I mean, she does write her own music and, you know, she's popular, so... She's a people enjoyer. So I I don't, it's not that I don't like her, Tim. It's that she's just not really my cup of tea. Me, me too. I mean, country music for one is banned in this house. Hannah will have absolutely nothing to do with that. So, and I'm, I'm not too, I'm not that too fussed about <laughs> it. And I know Taylor Swift has transcended country music and she's a pop singer songwriter with a country sort of ish twang, maybe. But it's, it's not something that's terribly floating my boat. I will give her some credit on her. Um, she did a TikTok where it's like, you know, it was like, who says you can go from country to pop? And she said there was like a song that was like, mama said that it was OK. Mama said that it was quiet. All right. That song. Well, and then in the screen, it flashed Shania Twain and Dolly Parton. I a little TikTok. <laughs> that was her thing. So I thought that was cute because they were both, you know, known as major crossover artists. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, good luck to Taylor Swift. I'm glad that she's popular and she's a real musician and writing songs and playing and stuff. One thing I, I do know about Taylor Swift though, is that she plays Taylor brand guitars. And I think if there was a Tim brand guitar, even if they weren't good, I'd still play it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll give her that. I will say, um, I mean, we could go on forever about the whole Ticketmaster debacle of 2022. Oh, Ticketmaster. I mean, <laughs> ticket prices in general, so, like, if you look at cinema tickets from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and compared to the price now, yes, inflation and things like that. So if in 1995 you was paying $3 for a ticket for, to the cinema, you go now and it's 12 or 13 or something like that. Okay, that's fine. Whereas, like, you went to see a concert in 1995 and it was 20 bucks, And now they're $400. It's like, how did that happen? Well, and then this is the worst part that gets me, Tim. When you go to check out, so it's like, okay, so these two tickets are going to run me $300. Okay, I got it. Then you go to check out, and all these stupid fees keep adding. By the time you get to the actual checkout, it's now $500. Yeah, convenience <laughs> fee. Convenient for who? Not for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then they're trying to upsell you. Do you want a parking pass? Do you want this? Do you want that? And you're like, I don't even know. Do I need that? And then you're debating, should I get the insurance? Do I not get the insurance? You know what I mean? Like you're going back and forth. And then it's like, but by the time you check out what was $150 a ticket is now $250 a ticket before you even, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, where did all these things come from? I mean, I understand the dynamics of music now because nobody's making money on streaming. So they're making money at concerts, which is why all these artists are charging through the roof for it. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, your thing about fees I'm completely on board with. And it's like when you stay in um, 
hotels especially like in resort towns like vegas Mm -hmm. and they have a resort fee so you have like the price on the internet 105 dollars a night you think oh that's not too bad and then you go through plus the 25 (laughs) dollar a day resort fee plus the something fee and a convenience fee and fee and fee why can't we just have the price and then you be able to compare things apples to oranges and it's the same same with the tickets so like okay you go and see taylor swift and her ticket is 600 bucks and, and that's expensive. But if you're a super fan of Taylor Swift, you think I've always wanted to see Taylor Swift. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to save my money. It'll be the best night I've ever had. And it should be, you get to the checkout thing and it should be $600 is what's charged. Not all this weird fees and taxes and nonsense. And like the small print at the end say, da, 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 da. And you're like, what did I just do? It's the same way if you use like, um, and this is not, I've done it many times. This is not to insult DoorDash, Uber, anything like that. But like there have been many times I thought, mm, I'll order that for delivery. And then I start putting it in the cart and I'm like, and I'm going to go pick it up because it's like, oh, it's $10 for your pizza. But then we're going to add this and this. And now I'm looking at it going, I'm not going to spend $35 on one pizza that's two minutes down the road. I know. I'll just go get it. And do you know where I think this comes from? I think the ex- or the acceptance of this comes from, especially in the United States. A lot of people don't know this, and I didn't know this before I lived here. It's that in the United States, if you go into a shop and you see a price that is not including sales tax, Yep. So you buy something for $9.99 and you take it to the checkout and it's going to be like 11 bucks with the sales tax on it or whatever. the Because the, sales tax is different in every state and some states yeah. don't even have sales tax. Yep. So the 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 sort of culture of go, of seeing something for a price, going to pay for it, and then some weird extra stuff is added on top. I think people find, certainly in the United States, find it more acceptable because that is your day-to-day Mm-hmm. That's the norm. Charlie, my husband, bless him. He said when he was little one time, he went, he had like, he was at the dollar store. This is when it was actually a dollar. So there used to be a store in America called Dollar Tree and everything really was a dollar. Now it's like a dollar fifty because of inflation or whatever. But at the time, everything was a dollar. So he went in with his two little dollars and he was like, I'm going to give you two. You know, he's like six. And he's like, I've got two things. So he grabbed two things. And he gets up to the counter and he gets to the lady and she says two, whatever, two 20 years. And then he's like, what do you mean? And that was when he learned how taxes were. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, the lady had 20 cents and covered it. <laughs> but he said his little heart broke a little because he was so excited to spend his two dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't know. That's that's one thing I miss about the UK in shops, certainly, is clear pricing because Mm -hmm. every price you see, whether online or um, in a physical shop, includes VAT, which is sales tax. Now, the sales tax in the UK is highest, 20% across the board. But you know it up front. Yeah, but you know you know it's got you what you're gonna get. And I remember the last time I was there, which I think was 20. 16, 17, I can't remember. It's been a little while. And yeah. I was buying a pair of shoes when I was there. And I was in the clerk shop. Ah, wait for it. In the treaty center in Hounslow. There it is. Bing. And I had my um actually so I had my UK bank card that had money on it. So I went to pay and whatever they were, 69 pounds or 59 pounds or whatever like that. And then they, they said that's 59.99, please. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. You don't put sales tax on. Well, I was born in Florida. Florida doesn't even have a sales tax mm-hmm. because a, a lot of uh, states, for those of the, you guys who are in the UK, if they have a big, um, a heavy tourist um, like community, like a lot of people, they make their money off of tourists instead of sales tax. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, so, and some states don't have income tax either, like Nevada doesn't because of the because of the gambling. 
Mm-hmm. So there you go. And um, what's funny is a lot of the states, did you know that some of the states that legalized um, marijuana, they actually ended up Nevada and a few other, I think it was Colorado. They paid so much into taxes on mar- marijuana. The state made too much in taxes and they had to pay the people back. No oh, wow. There's a rule on how much they could take on it or something. You know, we Americans throwing our um, tea into the harbor. We don't take too <laughs> kindly to overtaxation. <laughs> uh, well, I remember anyway. when I became a citizen and, you, and I've seen all those civics questions. It's like, well, why did America leave England? And they were talking about royalty and stuff. And it says because of high taxes. Yeah, it's because of high taxes. And then, um, I mean, America was founded for freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the other things. Or freedom, not freedom of religion, freedom from religion. Yeah, it's anyway. freedom to practice religion or not at all. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Not that this is a history channel at all. All right, Tim, what's the next song? We, we <laughs> talked about taxes for a while. I don't even remember what the song was. <laughs> Does it really matter? <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue what I brought this <laughs> <laughs> this episode's going to be an interesting one. All right. Okay, What's I'm going to I'm going to do two songs, okay. two more songs, and then we'll wrap this one up without talking about Ticketmaster and taxes. <laughs> All right, this is from 1989, and this is Simply Red's "A New Flame." Oh, that's a good one too. I haven't thought about that song for a long time. Now, Simply Red is one of those people that I kind of forget they existed. Mm-hmm. Did they have a lot of music? Oh, lots of songs. And I mean, famously, Mick Hucknall appears on the Alan Partridge Knowing Me, Knowing You singing Ding Dong Merrily on High. And I'm sure as we've just, <laughs> we're just the other side of the Christmas season, you'd have watched that because I know I did. Of course. So, I mean, I know they had that song, It's Only Love. And mm-hmm. then I know A New Flame. But I wonder if they were popular in the UK more than here. They, they, were, they were a huge band at the time. Because they're kind of got that British pop thing going for them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a remake though. They also did a remake if you, if you don't know me by now, which I remember hearing that. I don't know if it was at a commercial or something for a while mm-hmm. that was used for something. But yes, yeah, Stars new- was another one of their hits. They they they, they were a, a staple in Hold the eight, uh, money's too tight to mention is another classic of theirs. They they were just a staple of the pop charts in the eighties and nineties in the UK. And and again, it's maybe it's another one of those bands where they had a few stateside hits but they never really reached the same heights they did in the uk i don't know i would say that's probably true because it's like a band that i know i don't want to say like a passive and fancy but i know they existed for a short amount of time but they do have that kind of late 80s pop sound that i associate with british people Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know best to say that i don't know if that's an insult i mean i don't mean it that way but i started to say that i was like did that come off as an insult <laughs> there's somebody out there going i'll have you know that does not represent me ma'am <laughs> and we do have coffee <laughs> but only recently we, the england's had coffee there's no coffee when i was there <laughs> absolutely tim has confirmed there was zero coffee when he lives in the uk everyone there, we are. there was no coffee prior to February 2011. <laughs> oh, 2011. Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> no, um, did you know? So um, I posted a thing the other day about the No Day Music cast, and I put, make sure you listen to me and Tim just discuss if UK exists in the UK, uh, if, if coffee exists in the UK. And I was waiting for someone to comment and be like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, so back to the song. I do remember that song because it's like, it's talking about like a new flame. She turned me around. Something like, it's got like, but it's very poppy. And I couldn't tell you how I know that song because it's not like one we would hear on the radio. I feel like I've heard it on YouTube quite a few times though. Yeah, it comes I up on the playlist. When, when we had MTV Europe, it was one of those songs that was on heavy rotation. Oh, that makes sense. It does give mad um, MTV vibes as well. Yeah, and I think I think it has an iconic video, and I think it might have catwalk models in it or something. I can't remember, but it, it was it, of the uh, era there of uh, nineteen eighty nine. It was it was certainly a big hit. And the lead singer has great hair because he does. Mick Hucknall with his famous red curly hair. I love his hair. I'm very jealous. He has very nice hair. Exactly. That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of like when I talk about Coheed and Cambria. Do you know the band Coheed and Cambria, Tim? I saw them in London. <laughs> Charlie, I've joked about it. If you ever forget about Coheed and Cambria, just go early 2000 band, was on Fuse a lot, and the guy had really big hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and somebody will guess Coheed and Cambria. <laughs> yeah, we saw them. I forget where it was. It was at the Astoria, I think, London Astoria. And it was a good show. But like Hannah and I have often done this at great at shows where if you know it's going to be bedlam when it kicks out, leave. I've done that before. A few minutes before the on, well, in, during the encore, or maybe even skip the encore. I just belt out of there. We did that for Trans Siberian Orchestra because we need to get out quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done that before. No, I love Coheed and Cambria. They were one of my favorites back in the day. Um, but yeah, he's very distinct. You just say. Early to maybe late nineties, early two thousands band. They were on Fuse. Did you ever talk Fuse in the UK or is that an American TV? It's an channel? American thing. I know what it is, but we didn't have that. So for those who don't know, Fuse just played like kind of like MTV but alternative rock music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and they did like a their version of like the um the countdown when you came home with the TL- TLC total reliable. Mm-hmm. What is it? TRC? TLC? TLC that so that was they did their version of that but it was all alternative emo rock music T- um, sorry trl total request that's what live. it was i was like total requests T- TL- tlc is a, it's a pop band you made me listen yeah. to yeah. 50 episodes ago <laughs> i was like that doesn't seem right because where's the real part <laughs> well i just went with it but anyway so they had their version of that and if you've never watched kogi to cabrio just give him a goog you'll see what i mean the man has um, extremely large hair and he, and he plays a Gibson Explorer, but that's the bit I would remember. <laughs> I remember the hair. Tim remembers the guitar. Story of our lives. Okay, what's your next song? Okay, so I'm going to close out this episode that was loosely about songs that had the word <laughs> new in the title. Okay, and... We only covered like five songs. <laughs> <laughs> and this one, I'm sure, is popular in your house with Charlie okay. and yourself from 1985 from the album dare to be stupid and this is i want a new duck i want a new duck i have heard this <laughs> by our friend i should say by yes. our friend weird al Yankee. yes mr weird al actually i think charlie played this two days ago in my house <laughs> oh. <laughs> and of course we spoke about i want a new drug and this earlier on in the episode and this is the parody version i want a new duck I like like when he's talking about it, he's like, I want a new duck, one that won't bite me. <laughs> <laughs> won't chew a hole in my socks, won't quack. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's what defines it as a duck, weird apple. <laughs> I know, but he's he's he, he's the consummate parody artist, as we know. And that duck even stole his beer. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't remember the music video to that one, Tim. Was there an iconic music video to that one? There probably was. I, if I've seen it, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I actually listened to the song not that long ago. I swear Charlie was listening to Weird Al and it came on like two days ago in my house. So, but I don't, I wasn't watching the music video. I, if there's not an iconic music video, there needs to be one because now, that would be funny. Cause it's a I'm, doc- sh- I'm sure there is. In fact, I, let's have a look. I well, well, want a new duck. Yeah. I'm not going to play it. I, no, there isn't. Hmm. No, so, the, the, the ones that are on YouTube are all just like lyric videos. Well, there we go, everybody. There Somebody's a, out there wanting to make a cool video. Use our one a new duck. There we are. That that would be our that would be our uh, late episode tip of the week. Make a music video for I want a new duck. So, speaking of ducks, do you remember the duck sauce song? That no. one that's got like no lyrics. Okay, you were a disco duck, right? No, oh, yeah, yeah. So, I one time had a dream. This this is a real thing. I'm not. That sounds like I'm trying to quote like Martin Luther King Jr. No, this is a real dream, everybody. <laughs> but I had a dream, and this relates to ducks and the disco duck song. So there's there's a dream here. Maybe I had watched too much Glee that day. But in Glee, the one of the people, the cheerleading coach is always trying to take down the Glee club. But at some point, she infiltrates the Glee club as a way to take them down, and. She's always trying. They always need money to, like, go and do stuff. It's like a whole thing. You know, the school doesn't sponsor the arts, right? Mm-hmm. Sad story we've all heard. So <laughs> I had a dream, and it was because I had watched the Duck Sauce. There was a song. It's called Duck Sauce, everybody. If you've never, just give it a Google later. The Barbara Streisand Duck Sauce. You know, Barbara Streisand, that song. So <laughs> my dream. I dreamed that the Glee Club, that the the cheer coach got them sponsored by the Aflac Duck to <laughs> get money. And in the dream, a giant, so they're singing the disco ducks <laughs> and the glee. And out of nowhere, in the behind them, a giant Aflac duck comes down. Because <laughs> they're being sponsored by Aflac. And in the middle of the song, they refuse to stop. They, they refuse to sing anymore because they said they won't sell out to the main. <laughs> And that was the whole dream. <laughs> there, there's a lot to unpack there, Joy. Let me tell you that. <laughs> it's because I watched the Ducks episode of Glee earlier that day. So I had Ducks and Glee in my brain when I went to bed. And yeah, there you go. And for those who don't know, Aflac is an insurance company and the Duck is their little sponsor in America. Yeah, and it used to be voiced by Gilbert Gottfried, and he said some very un- some very uncool things, and they dropped him, and then they got a voice actor that sounded exactly like him. Yeah, it does sound really close. I'll give him that. But yes, but yeah, I just remember they're like performing disco, disco. Like that's something they would perform on Glee. Not really, but <laughs> uh, well, actually, Glee did a little bit of everything. So yes, it probably is. But. <laughs> it's like you know topia muck or whatever it says in that song and then the aflac duck just starts coming down and it's like big aflac like flashing like the most biggest ad you could think of comes down behind them and they're like we refuse to do this we won't sell out <laughs> and i still remember that dream and it was it was an amazing dream i will never forget that one that one ranks up there tim 
I just I just have a recurring dream where I used to about levitating up the stairs, but it's not quite as elaborate <laughs> as, as your as your dream. Oh, if we had an episode where I talked about dreams, Tim, we'd be here forever. I have very elaborate, if you can imagine, dreams. Yeah, They're all kind of like that. For some reason, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> well, I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, we'll end the episode here with J- with uh, Joy's uh, Dream World exploits. Um, <laughs> I would just like to remind everyone just to be kind. Do you have anything else to say? And we hope you have a happy new year. Happy new year to you. Bye-bye. See you Bye. later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.